0: Good morning, everyone. What's up? My name's Daniel. All right, so uh, first thing I wanna do is I want you to turn to the person next to you or the people around you and tell them what is your go-to activity to rest after a time when you're really stressed out or tired, okay? What's your go-to activity to, to rest, to recover after something very difficult or stressful. Ready, set, go. I'll give you like a couple of minutes. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's bring it back. Um, I want to hear some of the answers you guys gave. What do we think? How do we rest and recover? Aiden, how do we rest and recover? Doom <laughs> scroll or like Doom play video games. Doom scroll or Doom play. Now, why do you say Doom play? Because I probably could be doing something really a lot productive, and I'm just not. Really okay. Really a lot um, so we'll What, what other... What? What other, what other stuff? Sleep. Sleep. What else? Being on a run. Being on a run. Oh, you're one of those people, huh? <laughs> oh, it's so restful. No, I'm like that too. I, I exercise. What? Die. Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. What else? Yeah. What you got? YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Now, I, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how tired were you in the year 2023? So this is kind of like a statement. And when I say tired, there are different categories of tired. theres Do you guys know the difference between sleepy and, like, weary? You know? So, like, sleepy is like, oh, I need sleep. Like, I'm foggy. I really want to take a nap right now. Weary is like a whole nother big category, which I think we'll talk about. So on a scale of one to 10, how tired were you in 2023? Um, Raise your hand. So one being like, I'm fresh as a spring chicken, which is a expression that I don't understand, but I've heard it. (laughs) It means that you're really energetic and you're doing great. One is fresh as a spring chicken. 10 is like, I don't know, what's a good thing for 10? (laughs) just super super burned out exhausted okay how many of you are a three or below doing great how dare you how dare you you get out of here right now you don't need this sermon (laughs) okay um how how many of you are a five or below do we have any fours or fives um how many people are six raise your hand how many people are seven how many people are eight how many people are nine how many people are 10? No shame. No shame if you're 10. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because your husband's stressing you out? <laughs> um, so uh, for for me, 2023 uh, was probably like, it, it's up there, maybe like an 8 or something like that. 2022 was like a 9 or a 10 for me. So that was the year uh, my son Toby was born. And mm-hmm. Uh, There are different factors that lead us to be tired and weary. Um, So for example, uh, I have never been as sleepy and tired and like physically, emotionally exhausted as the first around two to three months of when Toby was born. This is a level of sleeplessness that no one can fathom unless they've had a kid. I think maybe there, there must be like, like medical school residency. I don't know. Like maybe there are some situations where it's kind of like that, but it was really, really rough. So imagine like every two hours, your baby wakes up and you have to feed them. And then, so you have to like, you wake up to a baby crying and then you have to get out of bed and spend 45 minutes to an hour feeding the baby. Um, and then you rinse and repeat that like three times a night. And there is no break. Like, you just keep on going over and over and over again. Also, during the day, you, don't, you generally don't have time to sleep. It's, and it's like we're like working adults and stuff, so we have a lot of other stuff to do. There's bottle cleaning and washing, which is a whole, like, thing. Um, there are so many reasons to be sleepy. Uh, for you students, you guys are constantly sleepy. And so uh, when, like, my favorite thing to do is sometimes I just kind of like watch the door over there and then I watch you guys walk through and I like look at your body language and I'm just like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how did this person's week go? It's, it might be even worse on Friday uh, for youth group, uh, where you guys walk in and you're just like zombies. It's like really, really sad. And so some people, in particular, Bob, I don't, are, you, are you here, Bob? <laughs> your, your sister, Zoe, um, a lot of the time she walks in and she's just like, uh, and I'm like, how are you doing? Are you alive? And she's like, no. And then it's because life is super duper crazy and tiring, right? Um, but when, you, when it comes to weariness, this is the crazy thing. Um, I'm gonna define weariness as not only being sleepy or tired or physically exhausted, but to be worn down over time by the hardship and pressures of life, okay? So w- weariness is more than simply being sleepy. We all know how to recover when we're sleepy, which is to get rest. But we don't know how to recover from world weariness because we live in a world where there are so many things that can make us existentially tired and weary. So uh, let me give you one, tw- uh, this was a tweet by a journalist that kind of expressed why we're so weary. And so weary, weariness can be a sense of like hopelessness about the future. It could be a sense of uh, just there are so many expectations and pressures that I'm dealing with, and I simply can't handle it. I feel like I'm being crushed in a vice, you know, like there's a clamp or whatever, which is, and it just keeps on like turning and turning, and I'm squeezed more and more and more. Uh, I've been rereading Lord of the Rings, so I don't know if you guys know this. If you don't know me, you might look at me and think, "Oh, Daniel's like a like a meathead or something." Um, he works out all the time, which I do, but I'm actually a nerd. Like, that is my true identity. I'm a nerd. I love reading, and I love the book Lord of the Rings. Um, So I've been rereading it, and there's this analogy that I think is really pertinent to our um, message, where there's a a hobbit named Bilbo who says that he's like uh, butter spread over too much toast. You know what I mean? he feels kind of stretched and thin, right? Where it's like you can't get, there's not enough butter to spread over the whole thing. And that's what your life feels like. Do any of you guys relate to that feeling? I, I always thought that was such a like, beautiful and sad like picture. So let me give you a tweet. Here's some reasons we can be weary, And this is coming from a specific vantage point, but let's, let's look at this. This is, the, um, this is the young kids on Reddit. This is how they feel about things. Um, why are we hopeless? This, this was actually, I think this tweet was an answer to the question of why are so many young people depressed? And they answered this. They said, we're living in a late stage capitalistic hellscape during an ongoing deadly pandemic with record wealth inequality, zero social safety net slash job security as climate change cooks the world. Right? Isn't that what all the people on Reddit say? Isn't that what you guys joke about when you like talk to each other? Um, but this is like the real state of the world. What are other reasons that we want? We're so weary. Um, we're, we're weary of politics, or at least I am. We're weary of war. We're weary of just like instability and like differences of values and division. We're weary of all of these things. And did you know what's coming tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow is the beginning of a new election year. Yay! No. Um, Dan and I were talking about this and we're just like, oh, dude, we can't handle this. We're so, <laughs> we're so over this. Um, and that's be- there's a reason for that, right? Um, we feel like we live in, I was, I was watching a Batman movie recently. We feel like we're living in Gotham City where all the politicians are, okay, I'm like overstating it. I'm, maybe if you guys are into politics, I'm being mean. But um, sometimes it feels like Gotham City where all the politicians are corrupt, and they're all like taking bribes or they're all like, this is what the world feels like. And then when, when in this tweet, there is a sense of resignation, right? Where it's like, all of these problems are so big, what can I do about it? There's also a sense of hopelessness, right? Where things are definitely not getting better. They are most certainly going down in a downward direction, right? This is how it feels for many people. Maybe this is how it feels with you. And so even if we had the inner resources, even if we're like Aiden and we were like a one, we're as fresh as a spring chicken after 2023, going into the new year, um, even if we had those inner resources, can we handle the problems that our world experiences? Do we have some kind of answer or solution to all of these difficulties that we see? Um, there is a testimony a few weeks ago that really struck me. Um, There was a married couple who was sharing about how they became Christian, and both of them had something similar. And I shared about this in a previous sermon. They both said something along the lines of, we were both extremely educated, successful people who felt like we were in control of the world. Like we were on top of things. They went to the best university. They They got the job they wanted. They felt like they could determine the trajectory of their career. And then devastating tragedy hit. And they realized that when life hits you, you just fall apart. You can't handle it. And they were hit by the weariness, by the, the difficulty of being in this world that is so difficult and wearying, okay? Uh, what are other reasons to be weary? Your family, school, wars, politics, whatever it might be. And so what I hope we can do this today is I hope we can look at Scripture and I can give you some reasons and resources why we can have hope for 2024 and for the future. And the hope does not come from me or us. Uh, It comes from God. So I have three points that are kind of like one point. Uh, We live in a weary world. You guys already agree with me about that. That's the first point. The second one is the tireless God gives strength to the weak. And the third point is the tireless God gives strength to the weak as we wait for him, okay? As we wait for him. So um, my main kind of argument is from this passage, God has unlimited resources of strength and comfort and encouragement for us, and he wants us to, he wants to give them to us but often we don't know how to rest in him. Often we don't know how to renew our strength. And so I'm not, okay, I'm not crapping on all of your hobbies, but like when Aiden was saying like doom scrolling or doom playing video games, one thing that I want to ask about those means that you use to refresh yourself was how effective are they? How effective are they? When you said doom scrolling, uh, does video, do video games, if you just like binge play video games for a week, does that make you more energized to deal with the problems that you're facing in life, or does it make you less energized? Maybe for some of you, there's a perfectly healthy, reasonable amount of video games that you should play to energize yourself. I'm not, not, I play video games, but perhaps the way you're using those things is not actually as restful or recuperative as you want. And then the second thing is, even if that deals with your physical or emotional tiredness, how can you deal with the second category of weariness? Where does video games help you deal with the sense of hopelessness about your life? Does it actually do that? Uh, the other e- examples of YouTube or the internet, whatever. So you guys, you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I think there's a different way that we can approach uh, this weariness. And a lot of this is born based on my personal, like, experience, like, being a parent where it's, like, so tiring, so difficult. And I really feel like I've had to le- relearn how to rely on God and receive strength from him, okay? So we live in a tired, weary world. The tireless God gives strength to the weak as we wait, wait for him. What does it mean? Who is God? What, what does it mean that he gives strength to the weak? What does it mean for us to wait on him? What practices can we use to help address this weariness? Okay, so let's get into the passage. Uh, This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Um, The context of this passage is Israel is in a place where they um, basically have lost national, military, religious, prestige, and status. Uh, they are no longer a strong nation. They're in exile or whatever it might be. And they're, they're, they're losing their sense of like social cohesion, right? So they're like a minority culture in a majority land. Most people do not practice their religion. There are all of these pressures from the outside to conform to the people around you and they feel like they've been abandoned by god right it says why do you say o oh, jacob and why do you, and speak o oh, israel so say and speak is like a continual thing where they're continually crying out and they're saying what are they saying my way is hidden from the lord this is basically saying god do you even see me do you even notice me do you care what i'm going through and then the second one is my right is disregarded by my god now uh, you you probably it's kind of hard to see what that phrase means What that actually means is they're saying to God, you are not giving me my time in the courtroom. I I am coming with a case against you, God, and you're not hearing me. You're not even allowing me to speak to you. That uh, That is how devastated they are. That is how disconnected they feel from God. When we go through all of life difficulties, when we experience disappointment about our goals or our relationships or whatever it might be, This is often how we feel, okay? And so the prophet is actually walking us through this pain and grieving and loss and showing us how to proceed. And what does he say? Um, Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Now, this is really interesting. Right here, uh, what the prophet is saying is you already know what God is like. And so what I would say here is I would stop right here and say, uh, if that doesn't describe you, if you don't know what God is like, this is not addressed to you in some sense. Um, I, think, I think what's really important, you can learn a lot about who God is and how, about who God reveals himself to be through what the prophet continues to say, but he is speaking directly to Christians or like in this case Uh, Israelites who already have received revelation from God, where they know who he is, they know what he's like, and they have a relationship with him. And so he even uses the phrase, the name for Israel. He says, oh, Jacob. Jacob in Genesis 32 had this long history with God, um, and there were these crucial turning points in his life where he increasingly understood and knew who God was more and more. So one of the crucial moments was that story where Jacob wrestled with this mysterious figure, and it turns out this figure was God, and, and Jacob basically was wrestling him, and he says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And then God basically broke his hip, he pulled, like, he, he pulled his leg out of joint, so he totally paralyzed, he, he, um, sub, he defeated him, and then uh, God said, no longer do I call you Jacob, your new name is Israel. So he gave him a new name, which means you have striven. You have strived with God. You have encountered God personally, and God has changed you forever. And so this is saying, if you know who God is, if there has been a moment where you've encountered him and known his love and trusted in him, this is for you. If you feel discouraged based on how wearying the world is, based on your life circumstances, the hope is for you to remember what you already have known. When he says, have you not known, he's saying, you already know. When he's saying, have you not heard, you already hear. But then why are you so discouraged? Why do you feel like God is neglecting you? The Lord is the everlasting God. And when Lord is uppercase, uh, uppercase, it means Yahweh. It's a personal name. And so it's saying, the God who you know and worship is everlasting. When you look at all the other gods out there, when you look at all the other sources that people go to for rest and recovery, none of those things will last, okay? Um, there's a thing called the arrival fallacy. So how do we deal with existential weariness? One of the way we, ways we do it in Silicon Valley is by goal setting. So um, what I see a lot for kids and for adults is this is a thing called the arrival fallacy. So the arrival fallacy is the idea that if you attain a certain goal, um, all of a sudden you will have arrived and you will be happy. You know what I mean? So when you're, in, when you're in high school, you're like, if I get that SAT score and if I get into the college I want, then I arrive at the college and I walk through the doors into my dorm room and then all of a sudden I'm happy. Everything is better and my life is perfect, right? You don't say that explicitly, but you might have this kind of subconscious expectation that that's how things are going to work. And guess what, it doesn't work like that. Then you have to deal with finals, then you have to deal with roommate drama, whatever it might be, Uh, relational drama, romance drama. Um, And then, when you graduate from college, you think to yourself, oh, now I gotta apply for jobs. Oh my gosh, it's so stressful, doing all these interviews, applying, no one gets back to me, what's going on? Um, And then you think to yourself, if only I got that job, I would be happy, and I would have arrived, and my life would be full. And then, some of you get the job, so let me I always pick on this friend of mine. Uh, there's a person very successful, um, went through all of the hoops and uh, you know so they went to Cal, they uh, got a job at a huge tech company. Um, you many would say the preeminent tech company in Silicon Valley. And they were extraordinarily miserable, extraordinarily unhappy with their job. And so then they said to themselves, my problem, is that I work on the wrong team under the wrong manager. And so they worked to transfer teams, and then they got a new team manager, and do you know what they said? They said, I was completely right, now I'm happy in my life, everything is coming together. No, they were still unhappy, they were still discontent. There's always something to be unhappy about. There's always something that you can, like that's, it's not gonna go your way. And so the arrival fallacy is saying, if only I had these circumstances, then everything would be perfect. And so if you buy into the arrival fallacy, your life becomes about striving to control your circumstances in a way that will make you perfectly happy. But that is an illusion. You get me? That is an illusion. And so let me give you more examples. Um, If only I was married, then I would be happy. Well, guess what? I would argue, that being, <laughs> um, if you thought if only I was married, you'd be happy, and then you get married to a wonderful lady, and you are perfectly content, and she's the most wonderful, beautiful lady in the whole world, and um, what, what I would say, <laughs> yes, like uh, like was stop digging the hole, Daniel. Um, what I would say is um, marriage, if you are dissatisfied with yourself in marriage, or before you're married, you'll still be dissatisfied with yourself after you're married. Uh, if you don't have, in a sense, security and a sense of love from God, what that's what I would say, from God, before you're married, being married won't change that. You still won't experience that. And so when you talk to married people, and like our marriage is great, but I think you would say this too. In the moments where we're fighting or we're struggling, that is one of the most devastating, difficult feelings you can possibly imagine. The loneliness of being struggling in a marriage, many people have said is far worse, okay, than being the loneliness of being single. Now, I I don't know if that comparison is fair, but that's what people say. All I'm saying is even if you get married, you're not going to arrive. There has to be truth and, and love and a sense of inner strength that is separate from your c- relational circumstances for you to lean on, okay? And that doesn't even deal with the world weariness, right? But look, who is God? The Lord is the everlasting God. So God is forever. God is eternal. He never uh, he never will let you down because he is so faithful and unchanging in the way that he relates to people and loves them. He doesn't faint or grow weary. Um, this, this makes me think of, uh, this is a dumb illustration I, I, I always used to use. Um, my dream in life is to be the 12th man of an NBA championship team where LeBron James is the best player and I just sit on the bench... And then I get the ring. You know? And then I get the ladies. No, like, what? No. Um, <laughs> my dream. <laughs> <laughs> take it easy. Take it, hey, take it easy. Okay, so um, the, the idea here is Le- LeBron James is, here's an SAT for a word for you, uh, indefatigable. You like that? LeBron James has limitless energy. And he's so old, but he still plays. Somehow he's so strong and he's so competent and capable that when I don't have anything left, he does everything. And so rather than think about your life for a second, we think about our lives like we are, all the pressure is on us to take and make the last shot to win the game. But if you are on the team with LeBron James, you probably are not taking that shot. Maybe you are because he passed, makes a good pass to you, and then you have the pressure to hit it. But if you're on the bench, there is no pressure to make that shot because I'm not even playing. That's why I want to be the 12th person on the There's no pressure. Now, as a Christian, the incredible thing is we have a role to play in our lives. God does not want us to abdicate all responsibility and say, oh, God, you do everything. I'm just going to sit here. No, but th- what is true is the pressure is not on you, to rule the world and to organize your life and to schedule things out and control everything. Because there are so many outcomes that are completely outside of your control. But God, when you are tired, when you have nothing left to organize your life, this is the very moment where God doesn't faint. So God never faints. Um, Sometimes I watch weightlifting videos I don't do this intentionally. It's the YouTube algorithm. They, sh- they sometimes show shorts where there, there's an exercise called the deadlift where you pick up a really heavy weight off of the ground. And there's something that happens when people deadlift where sometimes they just pass out. For whatever reason, their nervous system, it's too much. They just pass out and they just fall over on the ground. Um, they fall over the bar. They just like, that's what fainting is. You cannot, you don't have the strength to handle the pressures that you are under or the stresses that you are under. That's what it means to faint. We faint all the time where we just check out, you know what I mean? Like, I just can't handle this right now. I'm out of here. You check out of church. You check out of, like, your relationships. You're just like, I need to take care of myself. Um, That's fainting. To grow weary is to be under all of these pressures. You're juggling so many different balls, and you just can't handle it and you grow tired and weary. Now the crazy thing is some Christians can even function as in a state of perpetual weariness and they think that that's normal. Where you're constantly stressed out, you're constantly like, you know, frantically trying to control all and okay. If you're a pastor, if you're a minister, if you're like serving in church in some way, this is stressing out about the direction of the church, right? Which is something that we don't control. Um, we play a huge role in it, and this doesn't mean abdicating responsibility, but ultimately there are so many things outside of our control, and we stress out about it. God doesn't grow weary, God doesn't stress out, and then his understanding is unsearchable. This means that the way that God runs the world is can be very different than the way you would, right? And you can't understand how much smarter God is than you. Right, You watch like chess grandmasters or something. They can take whatever situation they're in and change it so that they get the outcome that they want. But we are, no, that's just chess. You know, chess is like a clo- is chess a closed game? It's not quite a closed game, but it's like, it's more closed than Go is, right, for example. So chess, um, computers can beat hu- the best human at chess because there's only a certain number of possibilities or whatever it might be. Um, that's one stupid board game, right? We live in the world. We live in the universe. Do you know how many individuals are making choices and doing things that are totally outside of your control? So then why do you think you can control the outcomes? Why do you think you're the chess master? But God is the creator of the universe. God has a vantage point that you could never have unless he reveals it to you, right? And so God actually is so incredible that he says these things are all outside of your control, but I actually can reveal myself to you for the purpose of, what what do we see in the next verse? He gives power to the faint. All of the attributes of God up to this point, his everlastingness, his creativity, his power in creating the universe, his indefatigableness, his understanding, none of that would matter or make any difference for our weariness except for this next verse, where it says he gives power to the faint. When I pass out because I can't handle the stresses that are, that are on me, he gives me power. To him who has no might, he increases strength. When I can't lift the weight of life because I'm too weak, God is the one who increases strength. Now, this is extremely humbling uh, this is, in a sense, like going against the spirit of the age in some way because we want to be strong, we want to be put together, we want to ha- be the ones who are in control of our destiny. And maybe for some of you, you can get by doing that for a very long time. The most talented, the most successful, you guys can do that. Um, but what you come to find, um, that I, I understand this not based on my success but based on reading biographies of successful people, um, like for example, A tidbit I love, Uh, Michael Jordan used to be obsessed with Candy Crush, okay? So when Michael Jordan was bored on his private yacht, he would be like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. I'm so bored. Like, life is kind of a drag. And he would play Candy Crush, and he was really good at Candy Crush. And it's like, you would think you had better things to do with your life, but no, he hasn't progressed far more than Aiden has. Where in his stressed out, you know, like he's going to play Candy Crush. And there are so many successful athletes and artists and whatever. They all say the same thing. They say, like Will Smith wrote a biography and he said, there's there is nothing like the rush of ascending towards fame, like becoming more famous. There is nothing more devastating than losing fame. Um, Rick Rubin, famous music producer, basically says, once you have achieved everything that you dreamed, all of your goals come true. That's when you wanna kill yourself because, because you, you have everything and then you realize this is it? Is this it? He's, he's like so incredibly successful and creative and so he has to figure out a new purpose for his life that's different than simply climbing the ladder. God gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. If you wanna understand the refreshment that comes from God, you have to admit that you're weak And that you need his help. And that means that you no longer are in control of your life in a very important way. This doesn't mean you can't make choices and God respects those choices. This doesn't mean you're purely passive. You're active. But it's a sense of like, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, relaxed drivenness. You know what I mean? Where you can go towards the things you want, but you are not solely dependent on the outcomes to be happy. And you're doing it with God. That's a huge difference. You're doing it with God. He's the place. He's the LeBron James. He's where the strength comes from. Um, Now, how do you get this strength? Uh, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Now, uh, this is something that we, I don't know if we have categories for this, but Christians have talked about this for a long time. Uh, Verse 29 says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. This is a really profound statement about life. Youths are like young people. Young people have so much energy, right? You guys, but even young people, as I've observed, you guys get tired. You guys get stressed out. And young men, and this word, some people think this means like either Olympic athlete type people. These are the chosen people. So these are like the most amazing specimens of like physical strength. Or some people think these are like soldiers. So they're highly trained. They're highly disciplined. David Goggins, whatever it might be. Um, Even these young men shall fall exhausted when their life circumstances overwhelm them. Even these people, the best of the best, fall exhausted because they can't handle what's thrust on them. And we're no better. Like, we're, we're less than these people, but everyone will fall exhausted. But, so there's a contrast, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Uh, To wait for the Lord literally means to keep putting on new strength. And so this is actually a really profound statement. Being a Christian does not mean that you will never be tired or weary. But being a Christian means you don't have to stay that way. You get me? You don't have to remain in that state of discouragement and weariness. And so, look, um, this is like a matter of survival, Um, You know, as a young parent, it is a matter of survival for me to find new strength from God. I can't survive. I literally can't survive. So there have been many days where we go through a really tough time with Toby, and then we finally put him to sleep, and it's like 10 o'clock or it's like 1030, whatever it is, and there's nothing more I want to do in the world than just like go, go to bed. And there would be nothing wrong with that, but what I realized over time is I don't just need to address my physical tiredness. I really do need to address that. I need to sleep. But what I need more than anything is for a sense of strength from God to deal with the emotional obstacles, to deal with the sense of discouragement or being overwhelmed or being anxious. And so, like, literally, this is not because I'm so good. Um, Basically, the first year of having Toby, I, I... I feel like I never went to God for strength. I'm sure I did, but I didn't have like a regular way or routine to do this. After the second year when things kind of quieted down a little bit, we felt like our heads were above water. And so what I've been doing like relatively regularly is after Toby goes to sleep, I go to the garage and I pray. And I say, God, this is so different than the way maybe your parents tell you to like read the Bible and pray. Why am I going to God? because this is the way that I experience rest. You get me? There is an effort that I make to go to the garage. There's an effort I make to read the Bible. There's an effort I make to focus when I'm tired. But, but it's because I believe that God is the one who actually gives rest for my soul. And so I desperately need to recover. I'm so weary, God. I'm so tired of reading the news. I'm so tired of all of these things. Can you encourage me? Because I know you don't want me to be so discouraged and anxious and worn out. I know you want to give me strength. You promise. You say that you're a God who gives strength, power to the faint, and uh, you increase the strength of those who have no might. And so this is an active waiting. So what does it mean to wait? Um, I'll just define it. This is my own definition. It's to have a confident Patient expectation of God's action based on our knowledge of his character, okay? So there's a lot of words in there. It means to be confident because God is LeBron James and I am not. What really makes the difference in the game is not my activity, it's God's activity. And so I wait for LeBron James to make the move that wins the game. I don't do it myself. And then I am confident because I know he's going to make us win. So I'm confident and I'm able to stop, right? To wait. You're waiting for something. You're waiting for someone to come save the day. You are not the one who is going to save the day. But you're confident and you're patient. And so when, when we are hopeless about the future, when we don't like our life circumstances, so much of the time what's going on is we are simply impatient and we want to have already arrived or get the things that we want, the circumstances that we want. And this is actually extremely wearying Okay? The sense of being disappointed and not like you compare yourself to other people and like, look at all the ways that they have those things that I like. If only I had that. That's a very exhausting way to be because even if you try with all of your might to get those things that they have, it doesn't come in one fell swoop, right? It doesn't all come on a platter where you're like, you can't just order it on Amazon. It has to happen through time. And so there's no point of trying to get it all at the same time. There's no point to envy other people. Instead, we can be patient and we can wait because God is faithful to give power to us when we're when we're weak. To have a confident patient and then expectation. Some people translate hope or wait as hope, you know? And in the Bible, hope is to be confident that God will act and fulfill his promises. And so to wait means to be confidently patient in expecting God to act based on knowing what he's like um, how do we do this okay so what what are some implications of this um, I want you to all say with me who runs the world who who runs the world are you serious beyonce anyone oh my gosh okay never mind just it totally didn't work or I, I lost all the I lost all the youth already so they're they're the only ones get it. There's, there's a Beyonce song called Who Runs the World. It's like, who runs the world? Girls. No. Who runs, who runs the world? God. Um, to wait means getting off the throne of your life. You get me? To wait means to say, God, his, under, his understanding is unsearchable, and he has plans for my life that I can't possibly anticipate or understand. And therefore, I can patiently trust what happens. When life circumstances come... The way to grow spiritually is not to constantly grumble or complain. You can ask all the honest questions of God you want. But when you start to, like, constantly grumble and accuse him, saying, oh, God, like, why didn't you give me this? Or, like, if only I had this, I would be happy. Um, you're in a dangerous place. And it's, it's because, like, God, I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it. it you're, you're, you think you know better than God. What you need and what's good for you um, and you simply don't because he is so much wiser and bigger than us and so uh, waiting means getting off the throne of your life uh, there is a the protestant reformer martin luther he had a friend named philip melanchthon and philip melanchthon was a big worrier okay so he's constantly anxious about the future and he was always trying to like control what was going to happen and he always felt like oh my gosh what's going to happen Martin Luther was like almost sociopathically unafraid of stuff, it feels like. I mean, it was probably God doing it, but it was also probably also his temperament. And so Philip Melanchthon would constantly come to Martin Luther and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out about this Protestant Reformation or like, what the Catholic Church or like, I'm stressed out about all kinds of stuff. And Martin Luther, in his pithy way, he said, let Philip cease to rule the world. If you want control of your life, then what comes with it is anxiety because all the pressure is on you to dictate what happens in your life. And if you think you can handle that, go for it, you know? But for me, I can't handle it. And so I'm weak. I can't handle having the pressure of running my life and achieving all the things I want and it all being on me and me determining outcomes. I don't have the power. I don't have the fortitude, the mental toughness. And so, what I think God has—I've chosen to do—is to say, "Look, God, I don't know what's good for me. You stay on the throne. I'm going to entrust my life to you." And guess what? It is very, very freeing. It is very, very freeing because then I can be focused. People almost call this like the growth mindset. I can be focused on the outcomes and processes of everyday life, rather than, or sorry, the process and daily occurrences rather than the outcome. It's not my business how God uses my life, what he achieves through me. I just want to be faithful to him and walk with him in whatever happens. And that means I don't have to stress out. This doesn't mean I work less. This actually makes me, Daniel, so this is where I might be different than some of you. Um, When I'm really stressed out about the outcome, I kind of shut down, because I get stressed out and I can't handle it. But when I stop stressing, and stop trying as hard, I'm not a try-hard, when I stop trying as hard, it actually frees me to take action and not fear failure so much that it doesn't make me risk. I'm I'm honest about this, I'm not super brave, but when I trust God, he leads me in places that I wouldn't go because I'm too afraid of failure. I'm too afraid of taking the risk. But then if I get off the throne then he actually has me work harder and do more, but in a way that's restful. It's not killing me, it's not burning me out. And so I've only learned how to do this over time. And so as I'm saying these things, I'm not expecting you guys to like immediately have an epiphany where all of a sudden all of your habits change and you're so much more refreshed. Um, This is a journey and a process with God where you increasingly get off of the throne of your life and you increasingly turn to him for rest. So one way that there have been a number of moments that have, like, really, this is like, clicked for me. So um, one of them was when I was, uh, when I was young and spry, um, I used to go to the Baylands in East Palo Alto, which is, like, an estuary. I told, I've talked about this. And I would just walk around in nature. I would hike around. I would read. I would pray. And the reason I did that uh, was because this was something that was so refreshing to me. It was not the uh, path of least resistance. It would be way easier to play Dota or like whatever it is, but I felt like when I went to meet with God and let him refresh me, I actually felt rest and restored, and I wasn't as stressed out. I had more perspective. I felt rejuvenated in a way that's kind of strange. And so I would do this frequently. Um, One of the passages that I would meditate on was Psalm 23, really famous passage. Um, And there is one particular part where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is crazy. You guys have mental health stuff. You guys have weariness. You guys have anxiety. Guess what? You are not the one who restores your soul. God is the one who can restore your soul. If you go to him with these things, God can actually heal you and help you but if you feel all the pressure, if you want to do it yourself, that's not how you can wait on the Lord and get receive renewed strength. He restores my soul. Candy Crush doesn't restore my soul. YouTube doesn't restore my soul. Romantic relationships doesn't restore my soul. Work doesn't, money doesn't, whatever it is. None of that will ultimately bring you the contentment that you really long for. But when you, when you know this God, he's so good and gentle and loving. And so I would just sit there. And I would meditate on he restores my soul. And then I would say, God, I'm so stressed out. Like I was in seminary or like stressed out with school or church or whatever it is. I'm so tired from all the stuff that I'm dealing with. Can you just refresh me? Can you restore my soul in this moment? And then like, I swear, like every single time I ask him for this, in some small way, he does it. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. Um, If you've experienced this, It changes everything about the reason why you pray, about why you read the Bible, about why you go to church. Why do you go to church? Because you have to? That's whatever. That's fine. Why can you go to church? What's your attitude towards meeting together, to encountering God? It's because he is the place where you can find rest. And this is an oasis. And so if your attitude is, I want to go and receive grace from God and be reminded of who he is and how much he loves me, that's an the most amazing reason to come to church. But if you're like, oh, this is just another chore. It's something I, I got to check off. If you're resigned to church rather than excited, and look, I'm a pastor. This happens to me too. Then let's just remember, like, this is so beautiful. God is with us right now. God is showing grace through his word, and he's helping us heal and renew ourselves so we're not so weary. This is what we need. Uh, waiting means resting, um, if God is God, and this, this one hits uh, our church, I think, directly. If God is God, it means we can and must rest. God, when he created the creation, on the seventh day he rested, God instated the Sabbath, which is a, a weekly pattern of not working on one day of the week. If we are listening to God, Even as we serve in church, even as we do work and school and all different things, we have to rest. The problem is resting requires trust that God is in control of your life, not you. We want to not rest because we're stressed out about the work we have to do, we're stressed out about the test we're studying for, and so you have to use all of your time to study so you can get a good grade, so you can get into college and maintain control of your life. If we're to rest, it means doing less work and trusting God with outcomes that might be worse than if we studied more. Maybe we don't achieve as much at work because we're not killing ourselves to do it. Because we're trusting that God wants us to rest. Um, In church service, I mean like for pastors and other people like us, serving as an elder, serving as children minister, whatever it is, do we trust that we can actually not kill ourselves in service of God um, and if we stop working in a regular way and cultivate healthy rhythms of rest in ministry, God will do way more than if we kill ourselves and burn ourselves out. You know what I mean? We'd leave the outcomes to God and we trust him when he tells us to rest when we're weary. If God is God, we can cultivate healthy patterns of work and rest. Um, I've been thinking about this as a parent. So here's another challenge. Um, As parents, the way you work is an example for the way your kids understand work and rest. You get me? The way you work and the way you rest is setting a model or example for how your kids understand what hard work and good rest looks like. And so if the rhythms of your household uh, do not have margin, and don't have time and space for rest, then it means that you're teaching something that is just, it's just worldly. I mean, it's just like what everyone else believes in Silicon Valley, which is that you have to work 24 seven, seven days a week all the time in order to get what you want, in order to survive. Let me give a very specific application. Um, do your kids have one day in the week where they're not doing anything academic related? Or do they have Chinese school, you know? You have homework on Sunday, you have Chinese school on Saturday. It is a constant grind where every day they're in a classroom, at least some hours during the the week. As parents, like, I'm not trying to, like, it requires faith (laughs) to do this, where we say we want to honor patterns of rest And so daily, I want to go to God to receive rest so I can handle today. Weekly, I want to create space where I can enjoy God and enjoy creation and go take a hike, go play, because that's what God wants for us, to enjoy and praise him. Weekly, do we have patterns of rest? And then yearly, do we have holidays? Did you know that holidays comes from holy days? God, as a ruler and king, demanded, you could say demanded, he instituted yearly patterns of rest where you would stop everything you're doing and throw a big party where you eat the best food and all the great meat. That's the type of God we serve. And so there is something that's terribly wrong with us if we don't understand his desire for joy and celebration and eating together and fun. this is what holidays should be about. So for your family, are there these rhythms of um, like going away from the normal life and going out, you know, go to, we, we go to Disneyland or whatever it is, whatever. Find ways that you can celebrate and refresh your, your family. Um, this is a huge challenge. I'm not saying this is easy and your particular circumstances could be extraordinarily difficult. So I'm thinking of people we know. So like pretend you're a, a medical, medical school resident. What does it look like for you to rest when you're going through that schedule? I have no idea. What does it mean for you to rest if you're Ken, who's like, you know, in charge of the budget of the city of Santa Clara? I have no idea. But there has to be a way where we can experience refreshment from God continually over the years, over the weeks, over the days, so we don't burn out, so we, don't, we aren't constantly at a, in a place of weariness. Um, God promises to renew our strength as we wait for him. Do we know how to wait for him? Uh, those who, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You can put on new strength for this weary life through God, through waiting for him, having this attitude of trust and patience and obeying him. Um, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So three images. When you wait for God you have strength like eagles do. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? Uh, they're, they're, um, birds uh, will soar on things called thermals, which are like hot pillars of air that are just everywhere. And so a bird that is working really hard will have to flap its wings a lot, right? But here, I think what he's saying, some people say, uh, translators say, they shall soar with wings like eagles. When you see a, a, a bird, fly into a thermal, they stop flapping, and then they just hold their wings like that, and they shoot straight up into the sky with absolutely no effort. That's what God is saying is possible for us as we wait for him. We stop flapping our wings so hard and go to him for rest and power and energy. And then this is like supernatural. This is like we're growing wings. It's it's like we are exhibiting endurance and strength that is completely different than what other people have. And so I think about, like, um, Uncle Rupert or YC or different leaders in our church who have always said to me, like, one of the best ways to receive rest and encouragement and endurance is to feed on Scripture. And that's how they do the ministry they do. When they're tired and exhausted, they go to Scripture for rest And then if you do this, if we wait upon the Lord, they shall run and not be weary. So this is actually a very realistic view of what it looks like to be a Christian. This is not saying that Christians are always happy, always cheerful. Um, I am not always happy or cheerful. I'm introverted and slightly melancholy and depressive. So I'm not like that. I know that's not realistic. But when you run, when you're engaged in intense activity, there might be different phases of your life where you have to put so much effort in for this period of time, when you are running, it is possible for you to not be weary. When you're in medical school, there is no way your rhythms of life are gonna look the same as they do when you're in college. But you can learn how to find rest from God so you can run and engage and do the activity and try and use your effort and you won't grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So in the long run, as you walk through life over the long haul of your life, You can walk consistently and have endurance and you never give up, you never fall apart because you're walking with God and he's refreshing you. Do you know what it means to wait on God? Um, Are you trying to figure out with him what it looks like for you to have healthy rhythms of rest and restoration? Final picture, one time I was in the Baylands, um, up in the air, I was just chilling and I was walking back to my car and I saw up in the air, a bird with white head plumage and brown feathers, and I thought I've, I've told the story before. I thought to myself, "Is that a bald eagle? There's no way. Bald eagles are endangered. They're, why would a bald eagle be here?" And then I walked closer, and I saw that it was a bald eagle. It was this huge, bird of, beautiful bird of prey. And so I walked over, and it turns out that there was some kind of like wildlife preserve that was taking their bald eagle on a walk. You know what I mean? Like they were flying the bald eagle, letting it stretch its wings and all of that stuff. And I just saw it in the air and I was like, God, you you know exactly how to encourage me. I could just be lost in the wonder of looking at this beautiful bird and I did not expect this. I wasn't asking for this. I couldn't have even prayed for this if I wanted to. But he, he surprised me in a way that gave me so much encouragement. Because I felt like he was hugging me. He was saying to me, "Daniel, I'm going to give you a gift that you never could have asked for or expected. It's something far better than you could have known, and this will get you through so much difficulty, this sense of encouragement from God. And so because I had this habit and rhythm, I feel like he continually he did it faithfully, every single time I went, I felt a sense of strengthening, and he did it in bizarre ways, where look at this eagle. I actually saw a bald eagle in in the wild, right? It was so incredible and beautiful to me. This is what God is like. And so wait on him, which means when you're anxious about the future, you can let go of your control and say, God, I'm putting myself at your mercy. If you're a good God, you're going to lead me in places that are good for me. And so I can accept whatever comes. Not only that, If I'm weeping because I'm disappointed about the way my life is going, you love me so much, and you promise to comfort me and strengthen me. And so what I would say for 2024, 2023 was exhausting. 2024 is an election year. We can be courageous. We can be filled with new strength. We can renew our strength. Um, If we try to do the mission of God without receiving strength from God, to do it, it will be misery and stress and exhaustion, and we won't accomplish anything. (laughs) We won't. But if we are healthy in the way that we rest and love each other and spend time together, this is something so beautiful. And this is not an easy process. we got to learn to do this together. And so um, I don't know what it looks like for you guys to rest. I'm a pastor. I rest on Monday, which you guys don't. That's kind of weird, Right? So find people in your industry or find other students who can give you suggestions on what it looks like for you to have healthy patterns of rest. And then God will show up in ways that are beautiful and incredible. Let's pray. Dear Lord, many of us are really, really tired. Um, We are overwhelmed. Uh, Life is so hard and you know, Lord, um, you lived life on this earth. You were tired and hungry. You were uh, in pain, you were lonely and abandoned, Um, but you care for us and you did that for us so that we could experience your comfort, so that we could experience rest from having to earn our salvation, rest from having to run our lives ourselves. We could experience what we were made for to live in relationship with you and to find rest for our souls by knowing your love for us. And so Father, I pray that you would Um, even do it without us trying, you would act in powerful ways that would surprise us and remind us and encourage us, Um, and that 2024 and the years following, you would do great things um, to reveal yourself to us and have people trust in you more deeply. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.